This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we're going to be reviewing Strange New Worlds, Season 2, Episode 4, Among the Lotus Eaters. But we're going to start with the news, as we always do, which is we have no, there's no official word, well, there's no word at all, on a new home for Star Trek Prodigy. But the producers have been saying nothing specific, I would say just general sort of vague positive things that tells me that there are some discussions or hope for discussions. And in the meantime, the show was nominated for a Television Critics Association Award. Which is a pretty big deal. It was nominated for Outstanding Family Programming. They've been doing these awards since the 80s. And Star Trek, the only award Star Trek has ever won is a Legacy Award a few years ago. But, you know, this is a good sign for Emmy possibility, which we'll know later in the year when the uh, family Emmys come up. And it gives it a nice uh, profile in the industry, which is always good. It's up against some big shows, American Born Chinese, which I haven't seen yet. Never Have I Ever, which I've seen every second of, maybe more than once. (laughs) A bunch of others. So I think it's a look. This can only help, right? Yeah, it'll probably help. I'm sure that it gets mentioned as they're shopping it around to Netflix and Amazon, which I think are the number one and number two possible future homes for the series. Yeah, and they'll be announcing the winners on August 7th, so we'll keep an ear out for that. We'll be in Vegas. We will. As will the Prodigy crew. So it'll be good news for everybody, we hope. Um, There is... Bad news for Canada. <laughs> well, I mean, y- yes and no. I mean, it, so, so in Canada, Star Trek has a unique situation in Canada where it's the only country in the world where... The new Star Trek shows are actually broadcast on like real TV. So Bell Media in Canada broadcast them on CTV Sci-Fi. They've been doing this since Discovery. And then they show up on Bell Media streaming service, which is called Crave, which according to most Canadians I've heard from is not a great streaming service. But what are you going to do? <laughs> and so they've announced that all the Star Trek shows, they have the legacy shows too are all leaving by the end of August, with the exception of Strange New Worlds, which is still running, obviously. And that'll be leaving in the fall. So, But they're still going to broadcast on CTV. So Lower Decks probably later on. They're just kind of cutting it in half. I haven't got to confirm yet, but I'm almost sure it's just going to show up on Paramount+. Plus. So I would be- assume it kind of makes sense. Yeah, Paramount Plus in Canada is the only Paramount Plus in the world that doesn't have Star Trek. So they've already pulled some Showtime stuff off of Crave, and that's now on Paramount Plus. Shows like Dexter and that. So it makes sense, but we can't confirm that yet. You know, Canada, my homeland, we like to be different. We like to stand (laughs) out in the crowd. I still think it's cool that you could just watch Star Trek just like you used to. Except it's cable TV, but still. it's Yeah. It's like on actual TV. You have to look it up in the schedule and everything. Um, <laughs> Reminds me of my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> so we're two weeks away from Comic-Con. And we really, what I wish I could do now is tell you what Paramount is doing at Comic-Con. Um, this year's been kind of a mixed bag from a lot of companies. Marvel has finally decided they're going to go. Some people aren't going. I'm almost certain. I mean, I know Paramount's going. They've got a booth. A Star Trek booth. I think that they're calling it a Strange New Worlds booth. I guess it's just going to, you know, have some kind of Star Trek Strange New Worlds experience, maybe like a transporter room. They've done stuff like that before. Cool. But we don't know what they've got going on with panels yet. But keep checking at Trek Movie. 
we should know very soon. By the time this podcast comes out, they may have already announced. Just it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what shows and what celebrities they're bringing to San Diego this yeah, year. Yeah, it's it'll yeah, it's we will interpret what we can from their choice. <laughs> Plus, well, it'll be easier to find than combing through the whole schedule and all the articles because we'll put all the Star Trek stuff in one place on our site. I mean, we do know a little bit about merchandise as a few Star Trek exclusives as there are every year. Nothing major, some tchotchke, like literally keychains. Um, I'm excited and about pins this. and bottle openers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm excited about this book from John Tenuto, who's a friend of the site. Um, and and that there's a special version of that coming out early from Titan Publishing and some other stuff. We do have an exclusive clip on the site from a new docu-series, actually also by Friends of Trek Movie, a bunch of Friends of Trek Movie. It's called Greatest Geek Year Ever 1982, a docu-series about all the sci-fi and amazing films that came out in 1982, which was just a crazy year for very, very big movies. It's Mark A. Altman is one of the producers, our friend Scott Mance. Who else is on that list? Uh, Roger Lay is the director on this. Uh, the guy who did the Roddenberry Vault has done a lot of special features for Star Trek. Um, it started a couple years ago. I think we talked about this on the podcast as a crowdfunding thing. We had Mark on. Mark came on the podcast and told us all about it. What I like is it's become a docu-series. So this is what we've been saying with the Voyager people. If you got a lot of content, turn it into a series. It's going to be a four-part docu-series airing on regular TV, the CW. Yeah. Um, so every weekend this July, every Saturday this July, a new episode of Greatest Geek Year Ever, colon, 1982. That's <laughs> the name. So, um, you know, and so we got a clip of uh, Shatner and Nick Meyer talking about Star Trek 2 with a bunch of other people like super fans. No, but important super fans, you know, like Dean Devlin, you know, uh, yeah. talking about how important it is to him. Yeah, and Mark Guggenheim, who created the Arrowverse shows, and he's writing that new Star Trek, the motion picture comic. He's talking about it. So it's cool. And we got a clip of Mance in there just talking about how important 1982 is and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's cool. I'm happy for them that it that they uh, sold it to the CW. I know it had done some film festivals and things, so that's exciting. Let's talk a little Strange New Worlds. I think that's it for the news. How about a little Strange New Worlds controversy? Oh, What's the skinny? What's so controversial? <laughs> well, you wrote it, so... But oh, yes. oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so Akiva had given an interview where he was talking about how the timing of the eugenics wars has changed in Star Trek canon and was giving an explanation for it. And, and the sort of core of his explanation was that Star Trek is an aspirational future and that Gene Roddenberry wanted it to be I think this is the gist of his argument, wanted it to be rooted in our reality, to, to think of it as our future, not as some crazy sci-fi thing, but as like, this could be our future. And so since the time when they were supposed to happen, which was the 90s, has come and gone and they didn't happen, it's been sort of retconned that they happened later. And Akiva says this is sort of to keep the, the original vision intact. You know, th there's a practical side to this is let's say you're just some random person watching the show and someone mentions the eugenics wars from the 1990s. You, you'll, you'll be thinking, what eugenics wars? And it would actually take you out of the show or certainly take you out of the reality. The show is our future because, you know, there was no such thing. Uh, you know, I'm totally fine with this. I, I believe in Gene's vision of the future uh, of Star Trek being in our future, even though we have a dark 
period to go through before that. One could argue, well, if you're going to retcon this, you need to retcon every mention of everything that hasn't happened because there's there you know, are lots. There are lots. There, yeah, yeah the, it's this isn't the only thing between 1966 and 2023 that hasn't happened on time, as it were. But I think this is a big one, and it's it's tied to Lon's story, so I'm fine with this. And I think most fans are, but some fans aren't, and I, I get it. You know, well, because to some degree, I mean, I I don't actually care when like what year it happened. To me, isn't the important part of the story but i i can understand fans being like what why why do you have to do like you don't have to do that we're smart enough to go okay well the you know the original statement about when it all happened was a few decades before the 90s it's fine it's not a big deal why are you making such a big deal out of it so right i, I could see that argument reconfirming that it's in the 1990s i could see is problematic being completely vague about it it just kind of happened at some point um but if they wanted lon to meet young khan they kind of had to pick a time you know they couldn't keep it vague it was you know because the 1990s don't look like the mid 21st century they kind of had no choice if they wanted that moment which they obviously did. Right, which is, you know, then people get into that argument of, did they need that moment? But they wanted it, they did it, they found a way to do it. They explained it in the episode as sort of like, time writes itself. These things still find a way of happening, which kind of goes against all the don't change time. <laughs> anyway, well, but gets, they use, they use the... The Temple Cold War gives them the like big hand wave. They just go, they just wave Temple Cold War over things. Like, well, that's just the Temple Cold War. It's kind of like, you know, that old joke of just say it's, uh, it, it was wizards that did it, you know? Right. It's, well, it's, it's just, like Janeway saying it gives me a headache. It's the same thing. You don't have to have the conversation. I'm fine with it. I kind of liked it, actually. He's been cavalier about canon, but in this weird way, I feel like he's really trying to respect canon in a weird way here. In his yeah, mind. I mean, it's funny because everybody's vision of what canon is and what part of it matters is kind of different. Yeah. Right. So, the, you know, half the people saying it doesn't matter, half the people saying it matters so much and you screwed it up and then another chunk who are fine with it. So of all the things I've, you know, crabbed about, that isn't one that bothers me. I think it's fine and the explanation works for me. Yeah. I mean, I've got a list of other things. But, you know, <laughs> but that one's fine. And I like the idea behind it of thinking about how Gene Roddenberry did think of Star Trek being our future. Yeah. Like to think of it in a very concrete way as it's aspirational, not just because the values are what we want, but because saying we could become better. That's the message. And that's that's the key. It's our history. And, you know, that is something that has really I think that it's an enduring part of Star Trek. I can remember talking to J.J. Abrams about that, like that. He and, you know, J.J. was never deeply, you know, ingrained in the lore of Star Trek. But he got that. He got that it was our future. And, you know, that you know, remember that first teaser trailer for Star Trek 2009 that started with the JFK speech? I do not. Oh, well, I'll have to link that in the show notes. But that was why they did that. They were trying to link our past and our present to this future to show that Star Trek is different than Star Wars and other sci-fi. It's all part right. of our future. Right. I mean, Star Wars starts with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So it's basically telling you, like, this has all happened. It's legend. It's something else. 
I also, you know, as I said last week, I said I was going to do an article about the painting that Pelia stole, and I, I, I wrote up a, a thing about that, which is just it's kind of fun. <laughs> I, I do think it's fun that the Star Trek isn't the first show that did it. The Simpsons did this. Other shows, uh, there's a picture of like the same painting in a Simpsons episode. So it's, it's a time honored tradition now to solve the case of the garden. The thing I can't figure out is it was stolen from the Gardner Museum in Boston. Why did they keep on talking about the Louvre? I can only think that the Louvre is famous. Like someone said, no, it's our. That's what I think. Yeah. Make it the Louvre. No one will know the difference. Nobody knows the other one. Yeah. It's fine. I I don't get all, you know, shaking my fist at the sky about that either. (laughs) Man shakes fist at cloud. Simpsons (laughs) reference. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I think we could actually talk about this week's episode. We We should. Before we shake our fists at any clouds, um, you know. I mean, I liked it. Uh, you know, in a in a weird way, I had a similar experience that you had last week, where my first playthrough, I was like, "Why are they going back to Rise of Seven? Um, I want it. You know, we're four episodes in. Let's get some strange new worlds." I know. <laughs> but then I started getting what they, you know, that this is a Pike episode for the most part, and it's important to him, not just because it's in his past, but, you know, he feels guilty over it. And and then and then they found a way to tie that into his current relationship. And it created an interesting opportunity, harkening to old Star Trek episodes and PTSD and a lot, a lot of interesting things. So I liked it. You know, not the best episode of the season, but it was a solid episode, good Pike episode, good Ortegas episode. So that's my high level. What do you think? So my high level is, I did, I mean, I thought it was a really good idea for a story. There was some really good stuff in there. There was a fun premise. The memory loss thing was cool. I liked all, the leaving someone behind and what happens. All of that is good. I thought, and the way that it unfolded piece by piece, I thought was done very, very nicely. As always, there were holes in the execution of it where you just stop short and you go, but what about, but why didn't, how did this happen? And I thought that the, romance subplot i just didn't care about at all i mean i'm sorry i don't care if pike has that i'd rather pike was out there meeting randos and having fun sexual experiences than i don't care that he's like difficult in relationships and he pushes people i don't know to me that wasn't a thing they don't have a lot of chemistry in my book those two there's nothing wrong with her she's fine i don't get their connection two more big overview points i thought the directing was great i thought everything looked really good and you've you know, you felt like you were there for the most part. But it was the third episode out of four this season where there's a whole big punching scene. And that's where the conflict in this one is ultimately resolved. And it was especially brutal. I mean, the first kind of fight scene where they got into the palace was quick. No, that wasn't that one. It was the big one at the end. Right. Like, well, fighting the, guards make sense. The one at the end, again, gets to this profound issue. And this is like more than... It's more than just a fight. It's not a fight. He's beating the crap out of him. Right. What they were saying in this episode is when you're stripped from your memories, it reveals who you really are. Yeah. So what kind of a message is that? That's who Pike is? Like a brutal thug? That's who he is? Well, I'm not sure thug is the, you know, he's willing. But he is brutal. But he's violent. He has violent tendencies. He's willing to fight because he feels like he's fighting for someone he cares about someone he loves he's confused as to exactly who or what he's because he cares he thinks he cares about laon to get her help and he knows that he needs to get back to someone he loves 
which is the whole pendant thing. And he's willing to do anything to make that happen. And it's an interesting question that I think Pike is now wrestling with is, is he a violent man? And you remember there was an interview with Anson a while ago where he, he talked about how this show is going to test these kinds of limits. You know, and maybe there's a message here that start, you know, the, the Starfleet layer has civilized, you know, because as soon as he remembered, he's like, oh, right, I'm Starfleet. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm that's not what we do. We're Starfleet. I'm a civilized man and we're going to arrest you and uh, you're going to have to pay for what you did. It's I think it's an interesting it raises interesting questions. I thought it was a terrible choice. I just uh, there are all kinds of ways to have raised those questions without actually having him just punch the shit out of him it was nasty and it was also just if that's who pike is then i like him less now you know like we we've argued about there's you know a lot of people argue about kirk and and you know i've written articles and whatever saying like he's not the punching guy that he gets portrayed as like yeah he he can fight and he has to fight but he doesn't always go right to the punching that's not who he is but apparently now that's who pike is well i mean but isn't this very you know the enemy within where this is inside of him and you know maybe there's a little bit of that inside of all of us that guy was talking about how you know when you strip away the memories you know anger persists love persists that these emotions that you know you can be taken over by emotions that's all i i don't think it was necessarily saying pike is this angry brutal brute guy but that the way this planet affects you can certainly reveal that side of you and raise it to become everything because you don't have the rest. You don't have your memories, your personality, your civilization, essentially. It, to me, it still doesn't work. Like that doesn't doesn't gel for me. Because okay. of the saying, you know, that like I get that, that who he is is the guy who fights for the people that he loves, but he was just punching and it was it was the brutality of it that was extreme to me. Yeah, I get it. I mean, that's the end. We're already at the very end. Of the, okay, podcast is over. We're done. But, <laughs> but and also it was the third of four epi- episodes that had big punching stuff again. And I'm like, okay, could we maybe try to solve a problem without all the punching? Let's hope the rest of the episodes don't just have that again. There was an interesting mix of smarts and just kind of raw intuition solving the problems on the enterprise though so at least there was no violence when everyone forgot who they were they didn't right. descend into chaos they just all started wandering around staring at the walls going where the hell am i right um, like they was the scared guy <laughs> in the corner so but no and even at the beginning when it when pike and mabanga and laan lost their memories they were still who they were like they lost their memories but they're sort of slowly they're figuring out they have a connection to each other pike immediately becomes a leader that's who he is and yeah. so he's leading and he's he's even though his his thought process is being hampered by this radiation he's still trying to focus and trying to use it and he's able to put he looks at his hands and goes oh you know i have these soft hands, therefore I'm not a laborer. Nobody goes, and what's all that moose in your hair? I, which nobody <laughs> noticed, which I thought was funny because I would have noticed that first. But, you know, I thought that stuff was all really good and putting the pieces together. And that tells me who they were. Like, Laan wants to immediately attack. They're like, no, wait, that's not the yeah. right. You know, they're doing all that. So that's, 
that to me worked. And I enjoyed the stuff on the ship when people were forgetting who they were. I like the moment where Ortega sees Chapel and gets and sort of lights up and then Chapel just doesn't just breezes on by. So, but getting back, I, I think this is an interesting thing about, so let's go back to the beginning. So we got Patel and Pike relationship because this is another interesting thing that's been handled differently on different Star Treks of how do we want our captain to handle his relationships? Like Janeway ended up being a, you know, a monk practically, um, except for that Irish thing. She had a few, but yeah, very, <laughs> almost nothing, almost yeah. nothing. Well, because she was with someone, she was engaged. At the beginning of the show. And, you know, Picard was married to the ship with a little bit of dalliance with Vosh um, and, you know, a whole other series where they had to spend a whole season just to get him to admit he liked someone. And then he um, forgot about her. <laughs> and then and she's still it. waiting for him in the bar. Um, Kirk was in love with his ship, but had a lot of fun things and met his soulmate when he time traveled. But Cisco made it work. You know, mm-hmm. he could find because... You know, so so what kind of um, captain do we, you know, and, and Michael Burnham's making it work. Um, right, right. You know. And that has some, to me, that's a spicy, exciting one. I just love those two together. I think they they have tremendous chemistry also. I think the idea of saying like, oh, captains would date each other because they would understand is certainly a valid and interesting idea, but it just isn't interesting to watch. Like, in a t- it's just not. And they aren't interesting to watch, and I'm not invested in them. And definitely the whole pushing people at whatever, this is how I am. And I like this talk with Una. I was like, rah, rah, can we get to the story now? <laughs> I mean, I, I do like that how Una is is kind of in a new place. She's She is who she is now. And so she's giving advice about not to feel guilt about Rigel 7, and she's throwing out, you know, advice about relationship advice, like maybe, you know, you should have it all. You could be a captain, but you could still have joy in your life. So um, and she was doing a good job running the ship until she forgot who she was. Well, she sort of there were there was one questionable moment, I thought. So here, like this is the kind of thing where the show creates a situation and then sort of messes up their own delivery of it. So they say, Ortegas, she's so excited to go on the mission. They need her to fly the shuttle. She's joining the landing party. Oh. Now we need her to fly the Enterprise. You better stay. You're the only one who can do it. So she stays in the Enterprise. And then Uhura gets sick and, and Una says, why don't you go with her to sickbay? And I'm thinking, isn't she the only one who can fly the ship? Like, why would you want her to leave the bridge when you've made the point that she has to stay, but now she can go accompany someone to sickbay? There's like four other people sitting there. <laughs> There's fair, a fair ship enough. full of people. But no, only she can take her. And it's because they wanted her in sickbay for that scene. Yeah. I mean, that, and then Una's like, I can fly the ship, no problem. And I'm like, okay, well. Well, they only needed an adjustment every 20 minutes, they said. So they right, expected but, her back in time. Well, let's hope she'd just done one right before. it. Again, it just was like, you guys are the ones who made the big deal about it. And then you changed it. So that's where I go. You could have. Just not made there. There was another way to do it, or it didn't have to be her in sickbay. But either I, way. I, but regardless of that, I think they handled the Ortega's arc well. She starts off literally saying, "Flying the ship gets boring." Yep. And, and by the end, she realizes, like, "Wow, you know, actually, it's not boring." And no, and the, the moment when she realized it was her who had to do it, it was great. She went from cowering and being afraid to being told, no, you're the one who can save everybody. And she's like, 
hell yeah, I'm the one who saves everybody. And she got up and did it. I thought all that stuff was fun and she was great. And I loved Spock's plan of like, here, I'm going to give everybody a pad with the information on it that says who you are. But I would have actually hung them around people's necks. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was thinking you should like strap them to their arms. Yes, or something, you know, because- a strap. Something would have made a little more. I know he was improvising. There wasn't a lot of time, but I would have gone for something, some Velcro, something to just attach it. <laughs> this episode was a lot about people making mistakes, you know, and it's nice coming in you know, episode two, everyone, all of all of these characters were a little bit perfect. They were essentially chiding Starfleet admirals for not being perfect enough. And now they're all making mistakes. Pike made a mistake when he was on the last time he left way too much stuff behind, obviously. A lot of stuff. <laughs> he brought too much stuff yeah. and then left it there. Yeah. And uh, Spock totally blew it by his plan to go into the asteroid field. Really bad idea. Yeah. So people were making mistakes, learning from their mistakes. I I liked that. And yet what I really liked was they did something in the show that most Star Treks don't do was that Uhura says, oh, I'm feeling weird and I lost two hours and tells them and they go to sickbay because I feel like so many Star Treks, someone experiences something and then they do what La'an did. They go, I'm fine. Like, Lan doesn't mention, I don't remember the last six hours. She just doesn't tell them that she doesn't remember. She's like, I had a headache. I'm lightheaded. She doesn't say the last six hours or a complete blank. So When they they plug her in in sickbay and her brain is, you know, going off like a Christmas tree, it's completely screwed up. Yeah, yeah. She was way messed up and she just happened to be the first um, before everyone started. And it wasn't the oatmeal. Yeah. I thought that and was I guess fun. Una's genetic engineering, like I thought she was going to start glowing and, and like, because usually in one of these situations, yep, I know where there's you're always going. someone. There's Odo or Seven, Seven or Spock yeah. or someone's immune to the kooky space thing. Right. And, and in this one, what they did is no one was immune but Ortegas had such instinct because they, I mean, they couldn't even read. That was a little weird. Spock couldn't even read his own pad, which make it made his idea essentially wrong again. No, but- and, it, and it didn't sort of fit with the whole explanation of the things you retain because they all would have learned to read long before they learned to fly ships and cure people. And but it showed whatever. how amazing it was that even not able to read she had such pure instinct yeah. that she could overcome. So in a sense, she was immune. Her data-like superpower was just her. She was the only one who was, you know, doing anything. Although I guess Chapel said she could like dress a wound because she's she done wasn't. it a million. She was just roaming around. Yeah, but yeah, she definitely <laughs> left sick bay, so she wasn't doing anything. Yeah, um, she wasn't. She forgot. <laughs> she said she'd forget that she knew how to do it. That's what she would. That's what she said. I like that they gave her the explanation of how the whole thing yeah. worked. That was good. Because this is a lot like conundrum, right? Obviously, but without the fun doing it part. See, I was thinking they're <laughs> gonna that Spock and Chapel are gonna find each other in the hallway and go wait. I don't remember anything except I really like you. I like you. Yeah. And they were going to go off somewhere and, uh, you know, <clears throat> reconnect. Conundrum, Conundrum is a big <laughs> favorite episode of mine. I love that one. 
So what? But I'm kind of glad they didn't do that. Yeah, I think tonally it wasn't a good match for what was going on. This was a pretty serious episode that raised some big. Like aside from the holes, which we'll get to, um, I think the big story was a great one. Like one, the guilt about crew crew members who died. Like yeah. he was haunted by that, as I I would hope most captains are haunted by those things. The idea of a guy who got left behind that nobody knew about who decided to become king was a good story the you start to lose your memory and people there's a whole class of people who keep their memories and a class of people who don't all that stuff was super interesting yeah and i, mean, I loved the the guy luke who who just was so like when he showed up i just put in my notes he seems very nice like he was so <laughs> like be in the moment i'm gonna get you through it it's gonna be fine he was like your guide if you were doing some weird psychedelic drug for the first time like that's the guy you'd want next to you he was very zen and i i like for, for most of the time he's like you know just deal with just just deal with it just it's you know okay. pound yeah. the rocks be a slave this is our <laughs> life you'll get used to it and we're then lucky. Lot- Lon's dying and is like, don't worry, she's gonna die. It's fine. She, she was like, I'm not <laughs> dead yet. Like she just kept saying, please stop saying I'm dying. Could you stop? But then when Pike was so passionate, he immediately kind of saw that and he's like, yeah. This yeah. is your moment. This is your truth. So you know what? I'm gonna go with that now. And so he's so zen that he's like, Man, okay, now now we're now we're doing this. So he was great. Um yeah, very, I really very, liked him. Good actor. He's one of those guys like, oh, I know I've seen him in succession and this and that. Um, but he is a really good guy. He's a Tony Award winner. His name is Reed Burney. He pushed Handmaids off the roof in Handmaid's Tale. He was so horrible. So <laughs> I'm not holding him <laughs> responsible for that, but yes. No, no. I've seen him play like crazies and villains. So that was but I yeah, he was terrific. I bought it right away, who he was, everything about him. Certainly, the the Zacharias character was interesting. You know, you know, he was the yeoman, so there was a connection to Pike. With a line right out of the cage where he says, "Like my yeoman, three crew members include my yeoman," and then he says there were seven others who were injured or something, which is why they had to run off and get them taken care of. This episode, in it, it's it, you know, like a lot of Strange New Worlds episode, is almost a mashup of you know different Star Treks because you know you've got elements of. Patterns of Force, the Nazi planet here where, you know, a guy kind of goes native and affects the planet, in that case, turning them all into Nazis, which was not a smart move. And, you know, and there's a few other episodes uh, about culture contamination. And again, this is all it's not copying them, but you could feel the echoes. And and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. No, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think this had definitely like the vibe of a good classic Star Trek episode. It's a little patterns of force, a little with a little conundrum thrown in there. And it's a sprinkling uh, of this and a, and a <laughs> dash of that. So and some good smart moments like when Spike, when Pike hears, oh, there's, you know, we lose our memories all the time. But the people don't who are in the palace or whatever. Pike or they, first they say we lose our memories all the time. Pike says, how does society work? Like he asks the right question, which I appreciate. And that's when he finds out the rest. What did you think of his line when they wake up after they've been sent out of the palace? And he says, this is a cage. (laughs) (laughs) I just started bursting out laughing. And I don't know if they wanted me to laugh, if they realized it was just it was so meta. 
that I just couldn't. I think that's why they put them in a cage that looked like a cage. Because they could have locked them up anywhere, but they deliberately put them in a cage. But then he said the line. Yeah. Anyway, it's a minor thing. The one bit of connection I would have appreciated, it's a minor thing. But when they showed the picture of the crewmen from five years ago, they were all wearing the new uniforms. It would have been nice to have seen them in either cage turtlenecks or Discovery uniforms or something to show that they weren't in the, the new uniforms. Yeah. And I'm shocked because... There was you know, the, the costume people didn't pick up on that. Uh, maybe they didn't know what the, you know, uniforms were for that they're dressing these three characters in. Yeah, that's very possible. Um, because they made some fantastic costumes, I thought, for the locals and for the Starfleet people who are pretending to be Kalar. Yep. I thought you know, the production design, the, 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 the castle looked great. My only real, real quip with the production design, the, the uniform thing is so minor. It's not a quip, but... This is one of those episodes where I don't think they did a very good job at the AR wall. Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless it was such an homage to the original series when they would just when it was like you could see the back wall and shadows on the back wall. I mean, because it was that obvious to me. I don't know if it is to everyone, but you could like see the curve of the wall where the the studio snow stopped and the CGI (laughs) snow started. The show has done better stuff with the AR wall recently, so... But I still thought overall, like the directing, which, you know, it's interesting. The guy who directed this was the co-writer and co-director of the Blair Witch Project. Yeah, crazy. Um, interesting guy. Like he's done a lot of horror and things like that. There, there must be an interesting story about how he ended up directing Star Trek because he's a yeah. big Trek, Star Trek fan. It, it, you know, Yeah, he um, did a film in college, a goofy parody film. Yeah, and I thought he did a good job. I mean, it's mo- more with the emotional stuff. He, I, you'd think you'd bring him on to do, uh, you know, a horror episode, but there really wasn't much horror to this. Even though the the Kalar in the original, you know, series were they in big the, in the original. Weren't they like? Very yeah, they were large? big and kind of monstrous and goofy yeah. teeth and big hats to make them look even bigger. Well, they did like have an explanation. The hats had a reason. Or at least for the guards, like the because the guards were outside the perimeter, but that they had hats that protected their memories. So yeah. the helmets, helmets, you know, helmets. But it was like a big tall in the original series was like a big tall hat, and they were supposed to be. I think they filmed it at these angles so that it would look like oh, he's much bigger than right. Pike. Yeah, yeah. Which they just dropped. I mean, again, which I say you could, you could. I understand. There's something cool about taking that line of dialogue about the people that they lost, but you could have done the same story, not tied yourself to that particular history and just been like, oh, it was a mission that he was on where he lost people. It didn't have to be Rigel Seven. No, it didn't have to be. But I, I, you know, that was my first reaction. Why not give us a new planet? But I was fine with it. I liked the look of the palace. They kind of took the original beautiful Whitlock matte painting and then created this huge tower that we didn't see because it was off to the right. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, ultimately that didn't bog me down particularly, mostly because we didn't know enough about it for it to keep, you know, slamming into something that didn't make sense. I just, it wasn't necessary, but it didn't bother me. In, you know, in a sense, this is another case where they're sort of fixing not fixing canon, but adding something to it. Because in the 24th century, uh, Rigel 7 was a tourist destination. <laughs> so they fixed it up. <laughs> they fixed it up good. So, it, it yeah, it, now we kind of know how they set it on the right course, I guess. You know, because that society would never evolve with the way things were going. No. 
Although I was curious to know how they, before, you know, Zach got there, King Zacharias, before he arrived or whatever, the Lord of whatever, how did they figure out that the palace was, how did they figure that all that out? Well, I imagine someone left the palace area and then lost their memory and somehow came back and got it back. Yeah. And they figured there's something inside the walls and let's put that stuff in our helmets and then we'll they be fine. They probably tried a lot of other hats before they figured out <laughs> what the right one was. It all comes down to the hats. So uh, here's a prime directive question. Do you do you feel that Pike violated or didn't violate? Because Spock was kind of weird about that. Like he's like, because they were fixing the planet. They were taking the asteroid away. And Pike said, that's not natural. Like asteroids are natural. Asteroids crash into planets. Well, so uh, the bigger issue for me is that should have been a bigger conversation. Like that is kind of what Star Trek is often about is that kind of conversation. There are a lot of different points of view there. And I look, I personally think, yes, like you see that that's happened to a planet, then it's good. Then as long as Starfleet doesn't show themselves and that contamination had already happened, then yeah, you should. That's the right thing to do is to fix it. And then you can, and then there's a big debate. Does it, is it, is it sort of natural? I mean, Lots of things are natural, but maybe it's about their natural development. Their natural development was hindered by this asteroid. They would not have developed that way. So it was the asteroid that you could say interfered with their. Right. Even though it's a natural asteroid, I would say it's like it's by the 24th century. I think they got a little stricter in what they considered meddling. These are the early days of the prime directive and figuring it out. Yeah. And, you know, they already, you know, screwed this planet up. It almost felt like, you know, a little payback, a little, well, you yeah. know, we are... it's the least we can do. <laughs> <laughs> Did they tear down the topiary garden shaped like the Delta on he their said way they were out? Going to that. Also, I thought that was weird that that Pike goes, well, you were sending me a message, right? And he basically says, no, that was an accident or something like he's saying, oh, they t- they took my symbol and they turned it into something. I We shouldn't have done that. Like, Except that the symbol was like on the flags next to him. Huge. I mean, it was, yeah, it was again these weird throwaway things that don't quite connect. That I go, what, what? <laughs> okay, Zach is just kind of like, eh. it's interesting how he he felt like he was too far gone. That he, you know, he'd gone total Colonel Kurtz, and he there was no turning <laughs> back for him. But Pike said, no, you know, we'll take you back, prisoner, I guess. But yeah, uh, he's going to jail. You can't, that's like the worst, one of the worst things you can do. I guess. But they did (laughs) leave him behind. They did leave him behind. I mean, I know, but he was, again, so they thought he he was like, how you didn't personally verify that I died. And I'm like, how is the captain supposed to go personally? Like, if they said he blew up or however he was supposed to, you know, they always say leave no man behind. Leave no man behind, uh, you know, find his body and try to get it back. They didn't bother. But for some reason, they had to get Spock to the Vega colony. They couldn't fix Spock on the ship. So, you know, we're randomly jumping around things. I want to randomly bring up something that I liked in this episode because it it solves is a strong word, but it picks up on something that I know bugged you in season one, where there's a moment when Spock says some techno babble and Laon like throws back at him. Can't you just speak? In plain English. Yeah, I was annoyed by that. And in this episode, he says, you know, he talks about how 
you know, there's all this debris and, and she says, can't you just say two moons? And he says, I could, but that would be leaping to a conclusion. I'm not sure they meant it this way, but I took it as a case where he's now more confident to tell her, you know, this is how I talk. I'm a scientist. You know? <laughs> Here was the other thing I thought about that line. Um, I don't know if I just put that there, but I think they did. Like we've seen him wrestling with feelings and maybe now he's, he seems in this episode seemed like he was trying very much to be more Vulcan. Like I thought his whole manner was him trying to do that. Well, but then he apologizes to Ortegas, which is not something I think an or- or Vulcan might do because she wasn't able to go on the mission. And then she says, sometimes Spock, you need to know just when to not say anything. And he said, I'm working on it or something like that. So I decided to take that. I decided to add my own stuff to that and say that it's he is making these decisions. So he's trying to be more Vulcan. And then he gets this reminder of like that's what you just did was annoying. And then he has a moment of being human, but he was, he seems more calmed down in this episode overall. Okay. Um, I thought of something else I liked in this episode, which was that on the planet that they created a mythology from their physical circumstances, which I thought was a very old school. Gene Roddenberry would have loved it kind of idea, which was they keep our memories like in a, in a box or in a chest or, you know, that that's this whole mythology came to be simply because of the physical circumstances. It was cool. There's an element of this episode with this society, which is a a caste system society, cloud miners, uh, you know, and other episodes we've seen this. And there could be an element here of a theme. We've seen this episode, this season of misinformation and divided societies, I think, is something that's come up over and over again this season. I don't, you know, maybe we're, I'm reading too much into things. Well, I think this had a different vibe from those. Like, I think keeping factions warring against each other for someone else's interest was more the theme that they were exploring in other episodes. And this one was really like this guy just took, Zach took advantage of an existing system so that he could be in the winning group of the two i mean one group was winning right but whoever created those totems and that mythology it was all part of oppressing the lower caste i think and giving them yeah a lot of that mythology was bs which he started zach started laughing about it all at the end he's like oh that's all fake whoever made up that story just made up that story to keep those people in line, um, which you saw when Luke finally came inside the palace, remembered his life. And he's like, oh, my God, I, I totally shouldn't have felt that way. I miss, you know, my son, um, my dead son. And it was a survival mechanism, too. So yeah. it all just kind of fit together. It is sort of how you might make sense of your world. If you were one of those people who were losing your memories, you might start to make sense of your world in that way and be like, oh, I guess those people have their memories in a box somewhere. <laughs> well, and they had their totem and they had their tattoos, which was reminded me of that Christopher Nolan movie Memento <laughs> with Guy Pierce, where he <laughs> tattooed things on himself so he could remember he kept things. Forgetting. Yeah, that was yeah. a good movie. You know, they're barring. There's a little bit of a Wizard of Oz, you know, there where they're like, let's go to the palace and get our memories back. And when Ortegas is on the ship and the ship goes, follow the, essentially follow the Yellow Brick Road. Follow to your, the Yellow Brick uh, <laughs> Road to find your quarters. Yeah, I thought there were elements of that for sure. You know, we learned a good amount about Erica. That I'm curious if they'd ever give her like an A story like they did with Laon last week, which, you know, a full on 
Ortega's episode because there was no Ortega's story at all in season one. Yeah. And I know that this was a very important episode to Melissa Navia. But the irony is this isn't an Ortega's backstory episode as much as just a Ortega's fundamental story about who she is as a person. Yeah. Unless you were zooming in as I was on her personnel record to see her birth date, you know, and stuff like that. Um, I was but- not. Because <laughs> I know you're going to. So I don't have to. It's like saving me the trouble. Because I still want to learn more about her as a war veteran and what it was like for her. Because she has a different perspective than Mabenga on the war. She kind of, I don't know, it looks like she almost misses it at times. Yeah, maybe the action was something. I liked, by the way, that Mabenga was pissed that he was being assigned to a mission because of because of his combat skills and not his men. It was maybe not pissed, like he was disappointed. He right. was he was unhappy with that situation, which I thought was a nice bit of character reveal for him. Yeah, he doesn't like the fact that he can kick ass. Yeah. I could only assume that he only learned that during the war, that he didn't go into the war as ass kicker. It's 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 another thing he carries from the war, his own right, skill. Which is why he doesn't like to bring it up again, although he does. I mean, he does carry that super serum, but I guess he forgot. <laughs> well, they weren't allowed to bring anything high tech. I know. But you know what? You could have given him a knife or a sword or yeah. a cro- crossbow. I also thought maybe some food, <laughs> some nutrition bars would have been good. <laughs> no, nope. here's a compass and, a, and yeah. an old telescope (laughs) and and that's it (laughs) there are definitely some things that could have helped with that but i get it that's fine like that stuff was fine because it sort of helps build the story and give you all the ingredients they they introduced a new piece of tech um in this episode because they they were obviously going to send them out without communicators and we've been led to believe even though it makes no sense that the communicators magically make people able to talk to each other and no one could tell the sound is coming from this thing in your pocket. Or that their <laughs> lips are moving, but different sounds are coming out. Right, right. But that's so, like the history of all Star Trek. That's nothing new, yes. but what they meant. So in this episode, they have subdermal uh, universal translators, which I don't think we've heard that before. But nope. Pike hand waved away why they weren't carrying um, their communicators with them, but they have subdermal. Which he conveniently explained to us because obviously they knew that they had them because they had to get them put in. But then they left the like, I mean, I mean, it was in the middle of nowhere, but they left the shuttle just sitting there. I know. And and (laughs) this is again like where there there are a few holes for me. And one of them was like, like, so did they take six more hours to get back? We know that they were at least six hours from the shuttle. How did they get on to the palace? Like, why do I have to fill in those blanks in my head while I'm watching? Well, that no, but she was Mabenga's out there losing his memory again. She's out there. Everybody like it seems I would think they'd come back and find Mabenga's wandered off. He left him fighting a bunch of guards and said, I don't know what he said, like fight them off and go inside and lock yourself. But I if, didn't you, know if what you that can was. make it to the shuttle in a day, you're fine. So one person, probably Pike, you know, left early in the morning Made it. Oh, well, they had took his helmet, a helmet, took a helmet, went to the shuttle, flew right. it back. But I what, I again, I don't know why we have to make all that up. All I'm saying is what, that's a part of the story as I was watching it, because I thought, oh, now as soon as like he figures out, oh, he found all the equipment and whatever. And I think, oh, now we're going to see him go 
find La'an and that's going to be an interesting scene where maybe they've already forgotten who they are again and he has to remind them and he's going to show them. Nope, she's just there getting bandaged up. So sometimes they just choose the parts of the story that where they hit hit the fast forward key. I mean, this episode yeah. is already 57 long. minutes long. They, they've been running long lately. And um, I mean, that's great. It's on a streaming service. They don't need to stick to 44 minutes with commercials. And the only part that felt extraneous to me was all the romancy stuff with her, which I didn't care about. But I felt like all the other stuff sort of developed and the pace was good. I mean, I feel like they're going somewhere with that. I mean, certainly in my interview with Anson, they talked about that. So I think, and I, we've seen her in the trailers too. So maybe something tragic is coming up with Patel, but for whatever reason, they need to establish this episode established that he loves her. Yeah. It's not just a little rope, you know, a little fling thing. He, she, she gave him the pendant and he held onto it. It was the yeah. only, you know, and, I just could have would have been fine without all of it. And if it's building up to something, I feel like, wow, that's probably not going to land for me. We'll see how it goes. I like a little romance here and there, but this just isn't, I'm not feeling this one. Okay. Can't help it. But there were other bits and pieces along the way, and I don't think I need to go through each one, but I will just say there are maybe five or six times in this episode where I was like, wait, what? How did they do that? I don't understand this. What happened? And I wish that they would tie up some of those loose ends. Yeah, there's certainly elements where you can sort out how they could have solved the problem. You know, they could use the computer or whatever, but for them, it's always what's the emotional story they could tell. And does that get in the way of that? But I've got a, a different kind of profound question. Okay. Is this show living up to its promise to be episode of the week? And I say that because the serialization of the character stories are now getting to the point where I wonder if you could just watch, just drop into one of these. Like imagine dropping into this one and it's like, who's this Patel woman? Like you need to know some of these relationships. And and is that a risk? Right. It's not so much that you need to know them, but they certainly add layers while you're watching to give it more meaning. I think if you just watched that episode out of the blue, you'd go, oh, I guess they have a history where something happened. And you would know that you wouldn't know what it was. I mean, it's certainly not like watching episode four of a season of Discovery where you, you know, you really need to watch that previously on because you'd be completely lost otherwise. Right. Or landing in the middle of like the Dominion War and one of those, you know, five episode <laughs> arcs that they were having near the yeah. end. But I guess, you know, the, I mean, they've always said that this character continuation stuff is important. And I always agree, you know, if, if Captain Kirk, you know, if, if Edith Keeler dies, he's not going to forget the next week. Right. But there is always going to be a risk of a show becoming so much about these relationships and the emotions of the characters that it gets soapy and you do need to know all that stuff for it to work with you. Right. Whereas I feel like, let's say Deep Space Nine and Voyager, who had more character growth like next generation some but a lot of them kind of had to stay the same for whatever reasons those two shows had a lot of character growth but not in that soapy way that you're talking about yeah but if, if you had voyager on shuffle and and you you know and suddenly it's like you see tom and balana in one episode from season one and then they're married you know, if you watch an episode from season six or seven, you're like, what the hell's good? You know, so. Right. You're like, oh, he was a real sleazebag. And now he seems like this devoted, upstanding guy. And that was some nice growth that he had. Yeah. I'm not saying that's bad. Yeah. 
that show did actually have a surprising amount of that. So, you know, I guess I, I'm not I'm not saying this is a problem. I'm just curious as to how far they're going to go with this and how it will impact the sampleability of the show, as it yep. were. I think it's a good question. And I'd be interested to find someone who's watching it that way to find out, because I feel like that's the only way that you can find out. I'm not sure. You know, I've got a lot more to say about this episode. I liked it. And I feel like we know these characters better. You know, it's kind of middle of the pack for the season so far. Yeah. I mean, overall, like, again, I do have, I still, I could at any time list off like five other things that didn't make sense to me. But I do think that the concept was really good and it had some good twists. So, yeah, middle of the road. But I think I liked it more than you did because I'm saying middle of the road is actually good. Well, I get more frustrated than you do with this show in general because those things that trip me up really trip me up and I'm not even looking for them. They just keep hitting me where I'm like, you guys just said this. Why are you doing that? I just keep feeling their manipulation of events as I watch. And that part, it feels not like, oh, that would make sense in the story so much as, oh, well, I want this character in this place doing this thing. So I'm just going to do it. But I enjoy the individual scenes. I especially loved all the Ortega stuff. I loved her in the turbo left just being like talking. And then when she's in her quarters and she's like, miss, ma'am, like trying to get the computer to talk to her. And all that stuff is fun to watch and ent- entertaining. Yeah, because how would she know it's a computer? No, I loved that. Um, yeah, it was terrific. And you know, they, yeah. I'm thinking about Picard season three, which we loved, but we kept on talking about how they were taking shortcuts to get where they wanted to go. Yeah, they did it there, too. Sometimes, you know, you'll let something go and sometimes you won't. And I guess it, it's maybe what else you've got going on. You know, what's the package? Was the journey worth it? Right. And look, I also think when I kind of been thinking about Picard a little bit lately and thinking like it really was more about like this happened, then this happened, then this happened versus some of those big conceptual ideas that Strange New Worlds is doing. Like Strange New Worlds is coming up with what about a crazy planet where people lose their memories every night and then create a whole system whereby they can remind themselves of where they live and who they are. That's a really interesting concept. And Picard was more about like, what if this thing happened to this guy that you know and love? (laughs) Right? Yeah. So, and I loved Picard season three. I don't know that I would have loved it if I didn't watch and love Next Generation. And if I hadn't had bad Picard before that, I mean, season two in particular. Yeah. So you got to put all those things together. But I think with Strange New Worlds, I just too often, and I did feel this during Picard, and I did complain about it, the manipulation. Okay. Like the puppet master. Maybe that's, my dad sometimes calls himself the puppet master. But like the puppet master pulling the strings. An interesting take. We'll have to talk about that more. And I'm curious to hear what our audience thinks on that that level. I, I won't disagree with you that I have been inconsistent. (laughs) okay so let's take our bits of the week this week why don't you start all right mine is this crazy thing uh so there's a twitter account called the wolf 359 project and they posted in the last few days this incredible it's it's basically a book in digital form almost 500 pages long called we have engaged the borg an oral history of wolf 359 there are two guys behind it although they had help with illustrators and other writers their names are andy now he gave me the pronunciation so let's hope i don't screw it up so (laughs) andy perlicides and eric v muirhead they're gonna be like what did you just do to our names but anyway (laughs) it is a collection of 
It's so well done. The design is beautiful. It's people's personal like logs, descriptions, interviews from characters we know: Shelby, Sonia Gomez, Riker, Boothby, Jake Sisko, uh, Marie Picard, Galmaset, like Doctor Zimmerman. All these different people giving their memories of what was going on during Wolf Three Five Nine. We have briefings from admirals and transcripts of those briefings. They said it took them about fifteen months to get the whole thing written. It's it looks like a finished book. They did it as a fan project, but I hope they can sell it because it is worthy. It's very cool. It I imagine they were taking as inspiration. There's a famous book called The Good War by Studs Terkel, an oral history of World War II. He kind of pioneered this style. And it's kind of that, except it's the Boer War instead of World War II. Um, and there's a great Max Brooks book about the zombie war right. done in the sta- same style. Yeah, no, I'm very impressed with that and really hats off to those guys. For- yeah, it's incredible. It's so well done. All right, what's yours? Mine is another book. This book was brought to my attention by Danish House, who's our in-house fiction reviewer, and he happens to be a minister, and he wanted to review this book called Soul Boom, A Spiritual Revolution. It's written by none other than Rain Wilson, and Rain has had this kind of spiritual epiphany, and he has a very interesting unique take on life and he uses star trek and kung fu through this book as these framing devices to for life lessons and a journey of spirituality and so there's a review on our site and i think it's just kind of cool you know rain wilson's a huge star trek fan before he ever showed up on the show he has been forever so when i went to see him in new york city with bj novak also from the office but to talk about this book so they did a great talk about it he went through a lot of the concepts in it and his inspiration for it um and we bought the book i was with my son my son took it so i haven't read it yet so now i'm even more excited to read it because it's 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 on i admit i haven't read it yet i i just i love the fact that it exists it's on my list to read and i'm glad that danish brought it to our attention so that we could share it with our readers because it's not something we usually would do but it was it's interesting here's something he said at that talk that i found very interesting that i brought up in our podcast with the shuttle pod folks about prodigy which was that He says, don't be cynical because when you're cynical, they win because you don't do anything. You decide you can't change anything. And that was my big takeaway from that night as a way of thinking about things is don't be cynical. It's bad. So I I liked everything he had to say philosophically that night. So it sounds like a good book. Um, One other thing we wanted to mention this week is that, you know, there's always something new popping up in place of Twitter. But the current one (laughs) that everybody seems to be checking out is called Blue Sky and Trek Movie is there. So if you get your Blue Sky invite, uh, come on over and find us. And so to find us on Blue Sky, what would someone do? You could just go in and search Trek Movie and you'll find us. All right. It's easy. You don't have to know which server we're on. You don't have to do all that. And who knows? Blue Sky could go away just like everything else. And everybody goes running back to Twitter. I don't know what's going to go down, but we're there. Just in case. Just in case. We've staked a claim. (laughs) And with that, thank you again. We'll be back next Friday because if it's Friday, it's all access Star Trek. See ya.